Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith, mental health, and how the church can bridge the gap between them. Today, we will be continuing our discussion on grief and disappointment, and specifically how we handle our innate need for control during those times. Here again are your hosts, Michael McCord, Evan DeYoung, and Lindsay Geist. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another conversation between three people that you may or may not enjoy listening to. This is. <laughs> no true words have ever been That stated. sounds endearing. <laughs> this is our fourth episode of our Not Alone podcast. I am Evan. I work in collegiate ministry in Georgia. I'll let Lindsay and Michael introduce themselves. Lindsay. Hey everybody, I'm Lindsay. I'm a licensed clinical social worker as well as a pastor in the North Georgia Conference. I have a background in crisis intervention work and helping churches navigate mental health. I'm Michael McCord and I always hate following Lindsay because she does such cool stuff, amazing stuff. But anyway, I, I work with, uh, I've been in campus ministry, work with college students and churches and helping strategic change happen uh, for the last 20 years. And uh, love young adults and what they offer to the church and to the world. So we are uh, thrilled for you to join us again for our fourth conversation, like I said, which is exciting. Uh, we're really rolling here. Uh, just for a little context, it is in the middle of the global pandemic that we find ourselves in. Uh, if you are watching this and there's been another global pandemic, we're talking about the first one, but not the 1918 <laughs> Spanish flu one. Uh, so <laughs> if you are in the future and there's been another one, sorry, we're referencing the first one. Uh, and I, I think we're all a little bit, uh, kind of stir crazy and a little bit over being on video and you know i think that's totally okay but we uh, are enjoying our company together it has also been the nfl draft our first actual sports news so i don't typically just wear a sports jersey around to work meetings. well yeah so so if you were choosing to listen to us we're, evan is is sporting a falcons jersey which is which yeah. gives me pride because it's i grew up in the home of the falcons like. and, yeah i saved yeah, up my good, fun money and bought my Julio Jones jersey. Anyways, also interesting thing about I thought about Julio Jones. So um, he has two J's in his name. He has Julio. That J is pronounced differently than Jones, a hard J in his last name. Uh, and so I always wondered why it wasn't Julio Hones or Julio Jones. And so it's a real enigma. Thank you for that tidbit. This is really important in a conversation about mental health and faith. Yes, it is. Uh, maybe I'm just star for sports talk. It, it, it is because you know what? Everyone approaches suffering and grief and hurt differently. And sometimes yeah. it's with a hard J and sometimes it's with a very soft, almost silent J. Okay. So, That's perfect. Well, suffering, uh, I didn't know suffering started with a J, but thanks for helping me out. It does now, but that's okay. <laughs> So, so this week we are asking some wonderful questions that I think all of us ask in our minds or are sometimes afraid to ask in our minds. And that's the question, where is God in all of this? Now, not necessarily this in terms of the pandemic, but where is God in all of this in any situation that we would find ourselves in? I think especially in situations of grief, loss, uh, tragedy, challenge, we really, our brains just kind of naturally ask that question. Uh, and I think that that thought process is something that some of us engage with some of us run from I have felt guilty at times asking that question like 
God, if you're good, why? Why this? Why sickness? Why tragedy? And I think that that's something that we all kind of have to come to cope with. Lindsay, in your experience, what does that look like for most people when they ask that question? I think that we want justification or understanding of why something bad happened. It's as though our brains can't process bad things. And so if we have an explanation or a justification, then that will make everything okay. So I think that's why we ask the question often of why did God let this happen or make this happen or allow this to happen. It can be phrased a lot of different ways, uh, but we're searching for some form of comforting answer of why something bad happened. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of it's around control. Um, when, when, when hard things happen, whether it's a pandemic and you're isolated in your house with your children for days on end, um, or, or Not you what's happening job, to you right now, right? You know, or, or you're <laughs> in a job that you hate or your grades are tanking or, or what, you lose a loved one. Like in those situations, they feel so far outside of your control. And so part of the response is I want some, I want to know someone's in control. Someone's orchestrating this, even if it's a really mm-hmm. bad roller coaster ride right now. At least, if someone's in control, I know it's going to land. Um, and you know, and then on the on the other side of that too, it, as a clergy person uh, like Lindsay too, um, is that I think sometimes as a pastor, I feel like I need to have an answer too. So, so I'm I have an answer that needs a question. And so you, you create these questions and then I, I get to give you this answer and this answer somehow gives you peace and um, a sense of control back. And so there's this sort of interchange between between this this lack of control and the reality of the world's uncertain and my life is uncertain. and I can't control any of that in wanting someone else, some authority to be there to say it's OK, it's under it's under control. Um, God's got your back. God will never give you anything more than you can handle. Like all these sort of cliche things is, mm-hmm. a, is sort of a way for us to try to offer someone a sense of control when they don't have it. Well, I, I'd like, if you can, let's unpack that a little bit more. Just, I think that that's an interesting idea that we want to have an answer for something and we want to be able to respond well. Uh, I I think there's a couple of things that that opens up. One is just what should a response be, right? What what should our response be if not this fill-in that we have? And then I'd also love to unpack why we interject these kind of placeholders statements, these kind of simple statements, these uh, almost like we're trying to make our own little truisms to make ourselves feel like we have an answer. Where does that come from? You know, I... I think it place comes from a place of wanting to help. I mean, and that's you know, there's a there's a lot of critique, and and it could easily this this conversation we have today could easily spin into a critique of the church and our shallow theology and the trite words we use to try to offer uh, to cover up suffering uh, because uh, of our desire to avoid suffering at all costs. Uh, we could get there. We're not going to because I think really behind that, and that may be partially true, that the church hasn't worked really hard on a theology of suffering and mm-hmm. taught that to people. That may be true. But in, in, in what's happening, I think, genuinely, is that people want to help. 
but they don't know how to help. And no one's modeled how helping. And the only model they have are these phrases that they were given when they were children, most likely, that they heard people say. And so instead of saying nothing, which is which may actually be the right thing to do, we fill the air with something. And that's something we don't realize can be hurtful. You know, so if, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. We use a lot of these filler phrases. Um, we say them to other people when we're uncomfortable. Instead of just sitting in that discomfort or sitting in that suffering or sitting in that sadness, we feel strange when there is this empty space. Um, or everybody doesn't feel good. I mean, let's go back to our feelings episode that we talked about how uh, hard feelings don't feel good and we want to be peppy and happy. And so we throw in these things for other people that we love uh, in hopes that we can make them happier again or that it can redeem the suffering or we can move on and feel good about what's happening. Um, That there's some sense of good in the midst of bad. Yes. Yeah. And I, it, and it's, it's, um, I, I just go back to this. I'm so I, I do some coaching, some executive coaching. So helping leaders, um, uh, help themselves be better leaders. And there, this, the power of silence is, is probably one of the most powerful resources I have as a coach. Uh, I imagine you too, as a, as a therapist, uh, Lindsay, is that, that it's people do the hardest work when it's silent, but our culture has taught us that silence isn't good. Um, and so like when we're interacting with our kids, you ask them a question, they don't immediately respond to you. You think they're ignoring you. And so, so we immediately start filling the air with stuff when actually maybe I asked a question that my kid needed some time to think about uh, before they answered. And, and my reaction is to fill the air with, with stuff. Um, Well, what is, what is an appropriate way to fill that space then in conversation, whether it's just understanding, is it an understanding stare? Is it (laughs) (laughs) like, I think you need to make sure you're not creepy. I mean, yeah, we want to have some kind of response, but I think, I think, (laughs) Partially Can because you see my in- anticipation. <laughs> Michael was staring very intently at the camera. If you yeah, uh, yeah. are listening, it was he took off his glasses to do it too. That's when you're serious. If- Go ahead. Sorry, that was that was very serious. I felt like you were serious. Uh, I think that it's tough too because I don't always want to project silence because people don't maybe they think they you don't care or like I don't. I think for me, I when I fill space, I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them by not saying anything. What's interesting is that silence is really raw and vulnerable, and it usually conveys more than we're able to say in words. But it's as though we don't want somebody else to be in that vulnerable space, and so we try to fill it in mm-hmm. real fast because um, we don't want them to have to... Um, say anything or even appear like they don't have it all together um, or that they might actually confess a very raw, deep, true emotion. And so Mm -hmm. we start covering it up or filling it in um, in some ways to protect people that we care about 
versus creating a space for a deeper connection and uh, the beauty to emerge from it all. Yeah, I think uh, in my training, there's this moment in my training uh, as a coach where I had to, uh, in front of my class, live coach one of my classmates who was a bishop. So it's a retired bishop. So there's this, and for me, there was this real um, insecurity about the dynamics between me mm-hmm. as as a, as a younger clergy person trying to coach this very successful leader who's retired and much older than me and much much throw in whatever qualifiers you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the power dynamic was really right. Off there's there. a weird which which mm-hmm. is it, it, that's. I'm using this as an illustration. Perceived, because I, perceived yeah, power right, dynamic. Right, There's a perceived mm-hmm. power dynamic there or, or an inability on my part. I don't feel equipped to do this, which mm-hmm. I think is somewhat similar to maybe some of the situation when you walk into someone's hospital room uh, or, or uh, one of your best friend's children's hospital room. Uh, that's a place that no one wants to be and no one's equipped to do that, right? And you don't have to be equipped. I think the first thing I want to say is you don't have to be equipped to do that. You shouldn't be equipped to do that. Um, with some kind of words or, or expressions that fixes everything because that's not your job as a friend um, in that moment is to fix it. You can't. Uh, and any attempt to fix it will only come out as hurt. Uh, but, but in this moment where I'm coaching this bishop, I had previously received, a surprise, I know this will surprise the two of you, but my critique that I received from my classmates and from my my teacher was that I wasn't allowing enough silence. And so I asked this question of this person I'm coaching, this retired bishop, and he doesn't say anything. And I, in my immediate gut response, was to start to fill the air with, uh, I, maybe that wasn't the right question. Let me try to rephrase that, like, like, like to sort of walk my way around it, because I felt really uncomfortable um, because of the situation that I was in. And it was and then, and I decided no, I, in that moment, I just, I'm just going to, I'm going to test the silence thing out Yeah. and I let it go. And then there's this long, slow exhale that I will never forget. And I didn't do anything. All I did was set a space for them to think about a thing that they needed to think about. And then give them the space and the respect to sit there with them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, you know, he, 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 he it was a profoundly important moment for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this weird power dynamic where I don't feel equipped, I don't have the resources, but because I, I was in, in, a, in an effort to try to listen to my teachers sit with a moment of silence that was very uncomfortable for me. Um, he was able to find and, and get something out of that that was really meaningful. And so I, so kind of shifting that into the thinking about a hospital room, there was a small child on the bed. Um, our immediate gut reaction is we need to somehow make this okay. Um, rather than just be willing to sit there in silence and know that it's not okay. And there's nothing about it that's okay. When we ask deep, hard questions, it's fascinating that uh, we expect fast responses. Mm -hmm. Because the more profound the question or uh, the more raw and authentic and and complicated the question, even, you know, how are you doing? 
and right now in the midst of the pandemic is not a fast answer. Um, You really have to go, how am I doing? I don't really know. Let me kind of gauge and sit back. And so it's, it is a respect thing and a love thing to one another that if we ask something hard, we should also respect that it may be hard to answer mm-hmm. and might not be a quick answer. Um, and it might be a question that hits so deeply at our core uh, that we may never have thought of an answer until then. Mm-hmm. How, how do we get from filling the space to being able to sit and be there in the silence. Like what are some good ways that you would say, this is a great way to kind of take that first step uh, with somebody, maybe there's a role or a situation that it's just like, maybe you just need to sit and be silent with yourself. What what do you guys think that bridge kind of is to be able to, to get there? Or maybe you just have to dive in. I think that's, I, your suggestion is probably a really helpful one. I, I haven't thought about specifically that, but I think this idea of uh, a sort of mindfulness, sorry, if you guys hear my kids in the background, neighborhood kid is coming over. So I don't know if you, if you hear that, this is real life. We're recording this with my kids running around. Um, is that the idea of mindfulness is a practice that I think we, we, we could all benefit from. Uh, and so there's some very simple practices uh, getting started with mindfulness. Mindfulness basically is, being fully of aware of where you are in that moment. Being fully uh, present and right now. Yeah. yeah. Aware mm-hmm. and present and taking it in. And like, I remember one of the early my uh, mindfulness exercises that, that I did was to eat with mindfulness. Like, so when I'm sitting down, um, which most of us Americans do not do, we no. food is a means to the end or it's, it's a, an extravagance or something like that. But but to be fully aware that you're putting this food inside of you and awareness of your chewing and, and the tastes and, and, and all, like the, who all contributed to it, like that idea. So there are, there are ways I think that you can start to become more comfortable with your own silence because mm-hmm. that's where it stems too, is that a lot of us are uncomfortable with silence and listening to ourselves too. Um, and so then, and then we get a situation where we're with somebody else, it's our own insecurity with our own silence, uh, that then creates this space for where we want to, you know, put stuff out in the air. We like answers and because we're uncomfortable with our own silence, um, and we might want answers. That's when I think we start throwing it out on, onto other people, assuming that other people want the same thing as us. Or assuming that other people are as uncomfortable and looking for answers and want a quick fix like we do. Um, and, and oftentimes it feels good going out because we're trying to love somebody well. We're like, well, let me throw this thing at them, this phrase, and hoping that it'll be helpful. Um, but if you've ever been on the receiving end of one of those phrases that is kind of like a filler phrase that is mm-hmm. supposing to be uh, uh, comforting. It's that many of us really, have probably said. We've all said them. I mean, yeah. I own that I have said them myself, um, that it's like it rolls out of your tongue before you even, your brain catches up. <laughs> um, 
like, that because you're trying to comfort. Um, but if you've ever been on the receiving end and you're in the midst of real pain and sadness, hearing a phrase like everything happens for a reason does not feel good most of the time. Yeah, it kind of feels like fast forwarding to the end of a movie to know that everything turns out okay. Like mm-hmm. to make yourself feel good about being able to get through the rest of the movie. Like for example, I uh, when I went and took my mother in law to see a movie, we were gonna go see War Horse, which was the movie that came out, Steven Spielberg movie, and uh, but she does not do animal suffering, and so I had to specifically she really wanted to see it but she needed to know going in if she was going to see it that that specific horse that the movie was about didn't die so i so i had to read the whole synopsis of the whole movie to make sure that the horse the main character horse lived through the movie forget the other horses but that one horse needed to make it Uh, and i think that that really is a part of kind of what makes us want to jump into that statement to say that like, I I need to know that it's going to be okay. And because it's going to be okay, I have to then just patch it together with this kind of shortcut. I think Michael, you have some experience that you've shared before about some of these phrases and some challenging times. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Well, yeah, but first, if I could, just because you made me think of something, there's this, uh, this family story we have when I was a kid, I probably was maybe 12 years old, I guess, 10, maybe, maybe 11, somewhere around that, 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 that age. And my older brother, um, it was my birthday and he wanted to buy uh, my present that year not my, you know, something my mom would have gotten for me on behalf of him or something like that. So he, he saved his money and he went out and he bought me this present. And he was so proud when he handed it to me to open it. And when I opened it, it was the latest Dungeons and Dragons, like card and book collection of which I do not play. Um, But it is his, at the time was his favorite thing in the world. So I, it was absolutely like, it was this, he went out, saved his money as a teenager, as a young teenager and bought what in his mind was the most important gift he could possibly give his brother. Mm-hmm. But that mo- that gift in that moment was utterly meaningless to me. Um, not that it didn't have good meaning that he, I, I, I was aware of it, but Jeez. like I had no interest in it. I had no interest. Right. And so now we have this running joke. Oh, is this the Dungeons and Dragons present? Um, so, you know, he just gets a present that he wants himself because I ended up giving him the Dungeons and Dragons book. So I never that was it right, right there. Which, he which sounds feeling like of gift giving. It sounds yeah. like he was not doing that in a man- manipulative way, like some people no, do, where it's like, thanks for the him. gift back. Because yeah, we make fun of him for it because it's funny. But th- as you were talking, I was thinking, I think that's what's happening. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. someone's hurting and I want to give them a gift. And so I go out and the thing I want when I hurt is control and a sense that everything's going to be okay. So when I walk up to that person who's hurting then I dump on them what I think is this valuable nugget, this present I'm giving them, when in actuality, it causes harm or it's not the thing that they want and it yeah. feels shallow. And it, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's where I think it's, it, you, you sort of have to be not only mindful of what you're experiencing, but, but, but be somewhat empathetic uh, with what maybe they're feeling and, and not trying to 
um, again, I think it's when we try to fix things that we get into trouble. Uh, and I think that's what you were talking about. Like I, I shared last last time I, for those who listened last time was that that it, when my dad died uh, when I was when I was twelve, um, you know, lots of well-meaning, lovely people told me all kinds of things that like God needed a lawyer in heaven. And uh, because it turns out there were none at that point, he was the first. He's the oh person that made it. You know, just saying, yeah, yeah. No one else made the cut yet, but you got to have at least one lawyer is more than enough. But um, just like one pastor is more than you only need one of each. But now, um, you know, these <laughs> things that, that I think it, it, looking back at it and now as an adult who has children, um, they were parents who were freaking out that they could die and they were facing, facing me was facing their mortality and what they wanted to know was that there was a place for them in heaven that, that, and they wanted to make, they wanted to know that I was, that their child would be okay with it, you know, like in, in it, it's messy. And so that's how I mean, like, I think it's well-meaning it's, it's a desire to help. Um, but it made me question everything about my faith for years. Those well-meaning, thoughtful people disrupted and maybe good in a good and ultimately maybe good. But um, there was a, I still remember this very vivid moment um, uh, of, of prayer uh, crying in my bed. It was like, I, I was like, it was like, a, 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 what's the movie where you choose the pill? The Matrix. The Matrix. 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 Now, so for all the people who've never seen, you know, this, anyway, Matrix, like you have to choose this pill. And I, and I really had this moment where I was like, I'm either going to embrace this idea of, of a God or I'm going to leave and just forget yeah. all of this. And much of that, not all, of, I mean, obviously a lot of it was wrapped up in the, the loss I was experiencing as a kid. Like why in the world would a good God kill my dad? Um, and then a lot of it too, was my circle of friends, some who abandoned me because they thought death was contagious. Others filled with trite comments about God that, that created a theology narrative about God that I just like, I don't want to be a part of this. If that's, if God needs an attorney more than I need a dad, then I don't want to have anything to do with that God. If, if I'm honest, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, I think I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's, it's, I think it's really tough because I think it, when we find ourselves in those situations, I think everybody just feels helpless. Uh, and the interjection there is, is a real challenge. I think that there's some interesting things to for us to unpack like within that. Because I think there's one, I think at this point, we're all thinking, shoot, what am I like, what am I, what have I been saying in tough situations? And like, like, what, like what, what harm have I done? Right? Like that's. And, and one. step one in that is like, don't beat yourself up. We're doing these things usually out of love that we're trying to be kind. We're trying to care for other people. If you said things that now you're going, Oh, I feel stupid or mean to have said that. Um, That wasn't your intention, I hope. I mean, usually we're just trying to comfort other people. So give yourself a break, step one, in all of this. Yeah, Yeah, I think the the point of maybe going as far as I just went was the next time you encounter suffering, I just want you to take a breath Mm -hmm. before you say anything. Yeah. 
and know that what you say matters and it has meaning and it has power. And, and so be thoughtful, mindful about what you say. What and kind what of things maybe... should we convey? Yeah. Well, you know, I was sitting here thinking, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Lindsay. You, I didn't mean well, to say anything. I was just going to say that um, we're saying these things out of comfort um, and and we can always be learning. We can be learning how to sit in those spaces. We can be learning how to use different phrases. Um, and we can try to be more aware of when we say a phrase, what, what does it convey about our understanding of God and our theology of it? Because so often I think we get taught these filler phrases that we think are comforting, but we rarely spend time sitting in that phrase thinking, well, what would that imply about God and how my relationship with God and how in God's relationship with the world and with other people? Um, and once we normally ask a follow-up question, then sometimes we realize that that filler phrase was about that control or trying to fix things. Um, and that maybe the phrase we don't support in quite the same way. Um, that we don't realize that, um, when we say, you know, if it's, if it's not okay, then it's not the end, um, that that comes across as sounding like sadness doesn't matter. Um, and just fast forward to the end and get over it. Um, mm -hmm. that there's lots of things conveyed along the way, uh, by these phrases. And when we sit and unpack them, we start realizing whether we still like these phrases or they don't work for us anymore. What are what are some other ones? Like I like other phrases um, that are harmful. Like uh, yeah, I mean, just even like some, and, even I, some scriptural phrases that we use, like "Oh, death, where is thou? Where's your sting?" Blah blah. I can tell you, I felt the sting of death. I it hurt. <laughs> it was not easy. Well, um, and I mean, you think about Jesus wept over Lazarus, and. Yeah. And yet we're like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, it's, it's not the end. So don't be sad. Everything's going to be okay in the end. Um, we're mean, moving from death. Paul's like, I can be all things to all people, you know, like, well, no, I, I can't. Maybe you could, Paul, though. I don't think you, I don't think you, I don't think you could, Paul. You, you can't. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can be all things to all people. Um, and it's unfair to try to press that upon us. So it's so under like the pressure of anxiety, I think if we move from like death into like anxiety, um, or, or even in leading into some depression, because you don't live up to what you think you should live up to. And so you must not be mm -hmm. good. Um, and so there's even scriptural references, I think that can be used outside of a context and understanding that cause harm. What about the phrase, God never gives you more than you can handle? Well, that's one of my favorites. I mean, think about your 12-year-old self, Michael. I mean, that would imply that God thought that you could handle your dad's death. Well, and so, yes. It's a weird capacity. Like, right? It's like, it's like, right, what does yeah. that mean? Are you stronger but, than the next 12-year-old? And so that's why your that, dad like, yeah. died and I somebody mean, yeah. else's dad didn't. That's, I mean, uh, but, but when we start unpacking like, this like, kind man, of that's like, a strong one. I mean, when we start unpacking, like, I gotta kill what five that lawyers sort of this month implies, and this kid can handle it. Yeah. I mean, it just implies weird stuff Horrible. when we start thinking through it all. 
what's then, a way to what's, and what's a, but but get, hold on let me let me just pivot just a second though and because i was part of a community of believers and a family that loved me and i had friends who were supportive i was able to handle it mm-hmm. i was able to go through it um and so i think that phrase in some ways means um, it's sort of, if you think of the, the, the end of Matthew and the great commission, it's like, I am with you always, even till the ends of the days. Right. Uh, and that what I think I've come to realize is that, um, is that we are the with you, like our, each of us is the with you. And so, th- yes, there's, God will never give you anything you, you can't handle because he's, God's going to surround you with people who will carry you when you can't do it. And God will give you people in your life who will lift you up when you can't lift your head. Um, In that if we we then see ourselves and take our responsibility on as I am the with you in this moment. So when Mm -hmm. when I walk into a hospital room, my thought is I am God's presence for these people in this space. Whether that's, whether that's, it's not about me, it's the office that I bring, right? But it is also about me as a person, as a human, that that God is with me. Therefore, when I'm there, God is with us. And if if there's one thing I think that God can say to someone who's hurting is, and this is generally what I say to, to people is, I first give, you know, if we're huggers, I give a hug and I just, I just whisper, I love you. Um, and, and I'm with you. I'm here. And then I generally say something like, I can't imagine what you're going through. But I've been through some hurt before, and I'm here if you need somebody. And and then in because I think theologically those are all sound. That is God, right? God, mm-hmm. I love you first. I need you to know, Evan, that I love you, and I know it. And and then acknowledge the hurt. You are hurting, and that's okay to hurt. And then say, I've experienced hurt too. If you want to be, if, if I can help, if I can be present, I'm here. And, and then I don't have to fix anything. But what I just did is I acknowledged everything about them and what's true about God in this moment, that God is here, God loves, and God's been through hurt before. Um, and then that creates a space for people to just kind of acknowledge where they are, as opposed to if I come in and say, God will never give you anything more than you can handle, then then the pressure's on me to handle this. And so if I can't, if I feel like I'm yeah. not handling, if I'm having a mental breakdown, then it's like, I want to What's cuss. wrong with me? Not. Just stopped. I was going to cuss, but I, I was like, oh, good job. Yeah. Don't do a, don't do a cuss. <laughs> but it's, you know what I'm saying? But what's wrong with me? You know, like why, right. why can't I get it together? Why can't I be strong enough? Why can't I figure it out? Yeah. Uh, I, I really liked what you said about it being like acknowledged, but then mm-hmm. also being present. Like I'm physically in this space with you. There's like that God is manifest here and I, like I'm here too. And there's like, I know that sometimes it's through a phone call and that kind of stuff. The way that we're actually present with people is, is obviously always very different, but this idea of like, I love you. I'm here for you. 
if you need something, I'm here too. Like, you know what I mean? Like just like, like, I will just be here with you if that's all it is. What I love about that too, is that the way you said it, Michael, it wasn't comparative in suffering that you, you didn't say, I know what your pain feels like. (laughs) Um, You said, I, I too have experienced pain and sadness. So, so this territory does not feel foreign to me. It does not mean we're in the same landscape, but at the same time, I'm not scared of this because I know what it feels like to be sad and to feel like we're fell in a hole. Yeah. Which in the reality is, I'm sure you've all been there in those moments of crisis. You don't even know what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so when someone asks you, how are you feeling? Yeah. I really don't have any words for it. I'm feeling loss. I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling depression. I'm feeling hopefulness, weirdly hopefulness. Like, like, so there's like myriad of stuff that you're feeling. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad question, but it's just the reality is in crisis, you don't know what you're feeling. Someone who's, you know. No, sorry. I think that it's hard. It's hard not to talk. Like there's no, the cues on uh, on the Zoom call, on the video call are so hard to read because <laughs> it's like, well, we want, you want to make it smooth, but then we end up just uh, talking over the end of your sentences. Sorry. The, what's interesting for me is this, how automatic some things are and how the mindfulness and being present in the space could really shape I'll just say personally, my and our ability to really be there in a meaningful way. I remember kind of the first funeral I ever went to um, that I kind of remember, you know, like that I was, I was, I was older, like maybe 13, 14. And I just kind of, you know, you kind of settle into your norms and I just saw a close family member and I was like, Hey, how are you? Like I just said that because that's what you say when you see someone and like they kind of were like bad. And I was like, <laughs> I just remember thinking, you probably shouldn't ask someone how they're doing in like a what's up casual way at a funeral where someone very close to them have just died. And like, I want to ask, how are you? I, that's, that's things that I want to know, but there was the tone and a delivery and and there's just that automatic nature to the way that we interact with each other that I think we just kind of slip back into. So this idea that you could be mindful and through patience and silence and mindfulness, we could increase our capacity and the opportunities that God's going to allow us to be there for people and that he's going to teach us that we're going to be infinitely more aware to me is way more empowering than having the right thing to say. Yeah. Oddly enough, like when I think back, you know, to my dad's death, like the, the one person I still remember to this day, was my second grade teacher. So I wasn't in second grade. I had not failed class that many times. I was 12, so I wasn't in second grade. But my second grade teacher heard about this happening. And you know what she did? She came over and she didn't really talk. She didn't say, she said, I'm just going to come pick up the house. Um, and then she she said, I'm just going to, we were close with her. So I'm just going to sleep on the couch down here. If you guys need anything, I'm just here. And it, it's, it was 
the most vivid, memorable thing anybody did. Now, I'm not suggesting you go, just go to someone's house you don't know. Is I'm going to sleep, so sleep on the couch. <laughs> you know, Times have changed. Yeah, that, yeah, you're, yeah, I know. Now that's recorded my second Couches are more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that shows but, presence. I mean, but, but like, you know, like it was this presence without words that meant more than any of the words that people gave to me. Is is Evan frozen? Oh no, he's. Oh no, I'm. Oh. I, 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 <laughs> we, we were using the silence. Silence. Like, uh, <laughs> trying to just interject. <laughs> but his, his eyes were blinking. Still, so it's, even it's, then, you were still uncomfortable. You're like. Oh, there's too much silence right, right there. Blink. I just need you to know that you're still moving. Blink. It's a zoom. You know? <laughs> I need to have something. I, I kind of want to get like a fish tank or something in the background. So you know that there's something, but I don't need another animal to take care of in quarantine. That's been, I think, just one of the more challenging things is not buying or making changes that aren't sustainable when I'm not at home every day. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I should get chickens. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, you travel. You can't do that. <laughs> it's not possible. Um, so I think as we kind of wrap up, one of the things that for me, uh, I think is becoming a parent is that I think we're going to have to revisit this in, in some ways. Because I think that the, we barely scratched the surface on some of the theology of some of these statements and what that says about God and how that reveals largely how our image of God could be shaped by phrases and thoughts that affect our health and our emotions and our relationships that may not necessarily be true or accurate. And that idea of those underlying currents that shape who we are and the decisions that we make that lead us in a weird place is kind of terrifying. And so I'd love for us to talk about that. Uh, and then I think too, like the, the idea of what, how we misuse scripture to just kind of justify how we should feel and kind of demean the human experience in a lot of ways. Um, Lindsay, I know one of your favorites is uh, just don't be anxious. Uh, so uh, I think that that's, that, that one gets probably for you uh, clinically uh, rubs you the wrong way there. I, ha I have some strong feelings about that scripture and how people often use it um, or misuse it uh, to try to run away from any or shame themselves from any feelings about anxiety. So we'll need to talk about that. <laughs> well, as we kind of keep going in these you, next week. You mean that's we'll... not your line? Like if I came into your office and <laughs> told you I was really anxious about this thing happening in my life, you'd just say, well, don't be anxious. And then session's I'm, over. So I'm just imagining what I, you. What I would probably tell you is go home and pray more. Suck it up, buttercup. Go <laughs> yeah. pray more. I, yeah. I mean, I that's, and, you, and I that's joke about that because that gets said all the time. Mm. Um, I'm about to get on my soapbox. We need to like wrap this yeah. up and I, come I back to it. With that, you my, my thoughts and prayers. <laughs> writing it down, yeah. <laughs> writing it down like a negotiating tactic and then oh, sliding it goodness. slowly across the table to your client. And they look at it and they're like, I'm just feeling anxious. And they look at it and they go, don't be anxious. You say, $100, please. Thanks. <laughs> That's not the kind of therapist I am, everybody. <laughs> Let's not misconstrue this. It's okay, because I have started selling indulgences during this plague. Um, so, you know, if you want to avoid getting sick, just buy an indulgence for me, and that will keep you from getting sick. The Black Death, you guys remember the plague, you know? 
that's how we built oh, the yeah. cathedrals of Europe. Is yeah, but that's Europe. that's some historical information and theology that most people do not know. Oh, people so, don't know. About this. So you just reference something that like makes you super church nerd um, <laughs> that most other people would not know. It was like religious <laughs> multi-level marketing. I mean, it's, it was it, one of those it, things. But that, I as will you... say it's it's like a great example of this conversation because in the plague, just like now, people were dying and they and they had no idea where it came from. They didn't know it came from the the what was it the fleas on the backs of rats were carrying the plague and but nobody knew how it was happening so there was this this desire for us to control it and say well it's because you're not right with God that was one of the explanations and so the church said you know what we could do is we'll sell these indulgences if you pay us and then we'll pray for you and that indulgence will then protect you against uh, getting sick which, by the way, didn't work. Um, but then the church had all this money uh, because they were selling these things. And, you know, so it's like, but it's its own flawed history, like all history is. Um, but but it is a good, I think, reminder that we try to do good things to help people when they're hurting. And if we just we acknowledge want to that, fix things. That, that we want to yeah. fix them. And some things just can't be fixed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just need to sit there and hurt with people and not try to fix the situation. And I want to give you permission to fail. You're going to say the wrong thing. I've said the wrong. In, in this middle of this conversation, I'm thinking about a, a funeral I went to uh, last year where I said something stupid, you know, and it just was the wrong. So you're going to fail. Like give yourself permission. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but also give you permission to say, you know, what, I'm going to slow down this time or I'm just going to take a deep breath before I say this next time. Um, well, the other thing that I'm really hearing is. That I'm hearing us say is that we've laughed lots and we've said, oh, I can't believe I said something stupid, which that word in and of itself is really judgmental. I and you were and gonna so, call me out on that the moment I, no, said, I said it. No, I said it too. I've said it several <laughs> times during this too. And now I'm reflecting back that we can say things that are not comforting or that uh and kind of phrase it that way. I have said yep. things before that are not very comforting. And hopefully I can learn from that and be more comforting in the future instead of us judging ourselves and deciding that we're all really terrible people and we've messed up everything royally and we should never comfort anybody ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's not true. Yeah. That's a good well, I think, I think that's a great place for us to, to leave it. I appreciate your wisdom and thoughts and uh, experiences as always. And, and I'm looking forward to getting together again soon. Sounds Thanks, great. Michael, for your See extra you church nerd information today at the end. Here, hold on. You're welcome. <laughs> he doesn't wear glasses. They're blue light blockers. They are. I don't actually wear glasses, only when I'm staring at the screen all day. So I have to use them as... Uh, and that be better you appropriating On, that note, on that note, everybody, we need to go. We need to wrap this it's thing up. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Yeah. Thank you again for listening to Not Alone. If you like the show you just listened to, make sure you go follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at The Not Alone Podcast and on Instagram at The Not Alone Pod. And of course, be sure to give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening. See you next time.